Hey, this is Steve Whiteman from Kicks, and you are jamming with Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, bringing you your weekly dose of Focus on Metal. And uh, what a great metal week this week is going to be with some killer releases coming out this Friday. And our guest this week uh, participated in two of those releases. I'm talking about Michael Sweet from Striper with their brand new one, Goddamn Evil. And then also Gus G putting out his latest solo effort called Fearless. That's what we got on tap this week for you. So with, uh, you know, two great guests this week, who am I going to run first? I mean, you got Michael Sweet, who's been on the show Uh, at this point. Seriously, I lost count. But uh, then you got Gus G, uh, another one of my favorite players, really a big fan of Firewind and all the good stuff he's done. And, you know, what about Gus? Do I put Gus up first? I don't know. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go the easy way out, and I'm going to put people in alphabetical order. So i uh, going to spin a little bit from Gus G's brand new one, Fearless, and we'll go right into the chat with Gus G. <laughs> Richie? Yeah, Zach Yeah, man, how you doing? I'm okay. Where, where are you? Are you in Greece? Or are you in the US? Yeah. Oh, you're in yeah, Greece? Yeah, no, in Greece. In Greece okay. Yeah. So you're what? Uh, I'm on the East Coast here, so you're probably what? Six hours ahead of me. So it's probably 20 seven, minutes seven after. Seven hours, six. seven hours. Yeah, so it's oh, like yeah. 7.15 here. Okay, nice, nice. You doing a lot of interviews? Yeah, yeah, and I've, I'm thinking I'm running a little bit late here because couple of the guys we, we chatted a little bit longer than we ha- we should have so <laughs> that's why I'm, that's why I'm almost 20 minutes late sorry about that no no that's okay so it, it's no, okay, no, cool. no big deal so the metal scene in Greece now Gus um how strong is it because the economy a few years ago I know wasn't doing so well and that surely would have affected sales and maybe getting the bands to to tour there yeah yeah that's correct I mean um 
you know, there, there was a the big financial crisis. It's still going on, but um, I think people are slowly moving on from that. And, you know, you can't dwell on all that. I mean, it, it definitely had a big effect on the market, I think. And you see the sales went down worldwide, not just in Greece. But, um, you know, it's still a healthy live market, I have to say. There's a lot of shows here. Um I think that also made people turn their interest to a lot more local acts because, you know, the ticket prices were cheaper, so they, they could still go out there and enjoy, enjoy music. And, yeah, I think with, there was a... I think in, in the end, the good thing that came out of that was, like, a lot of uh, local bands came out of that, you know what I mean? They, they, uh, they, they were able to develop and um, gain a bigger audience. Yeah, and did it affect you touring the country at all? Either with either solo or with Firewind? Um, no, not not necessarily. I mean, I I don't I never really overdid it here, so I only played maybe like a couple of shows a year. Um, so whenever we play, all the shows are uh, well attended, and you know we always manage to keep ticket prices fairly cheap. So you know, depending on the situation of how the you know the, the economic situation is, so. We never really had a, a big issue, you know. Yeah, it's just about you know you have to you know you cannot you cannot like you have to think like okay, it can every day be a Saturday night? No, it can't. Of course, if you play on a Wednesday, it's going to be you know worse turnout than on a Saturday night. And then you have to consider which months are the best to tour here. I mean, usually I'll do shows here around December because I always end all my world tours here at home. And December is a good time because people are feeling very uh, festive and it's all like, you know, it's Christmas time. So people go out a little bit more and spend more. So <laughs> I've been lucky that my shows do well around Christmas time. <laughs> nice, nice. And you, you don't have to travel far to get home, which is great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So is is it still mostly uh, the power metal and traditional metal that's big in Greece? Because... I remember years ago I went on holidays to some of the Mediterranean countries and like Man of War, the likes of Man of War were huge in Iron Maiden. Is it still like that down there? Um, not really as much. I mean, okay, Maiden is still huge, but Maiden is huge everywhere. Um, but actually, the, you know, the power metal scene has died, you know, died down a lot. So, I mean, it seems to be a bit more of a hipster kind of scene these days. People like a lot of the stoner rock bands, which I guess is like a worldwide trend right now. Um, so a lot of the traditional metal is is not as popular as it used to be. Um, I mean, we did a couple of shows last December with Firewind, and they were pretty big, but, but that's because the band was, hadn't done shows here in five years, so I think a lot of the fans wanted to check out the band again, you know? Yeah. But, Generally speaking, like that, that kind of music it doesn't really do as good as it used to. Do. But power metal has died down, uh, died out uh, everywhere, even like South America and all these places. You know, it's not. I mean, let's just face it; it's not really the most hip or cool music to listen to in 2018. You know, it's something that mainly a more adult audience listens to. So it's really hard for a younger acts of that style to break out. Yeah. Yeah. No. I always ask uh, the guitar players uh, a couple of questions about the guitars. Now, I don't play at all, so you're not going to get any technical questions from me. But Okay, that's cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> how many guitars do you think you have in your house? Uh, must have around 30 guitars here. Okay. Are you someone who collects them at all, or 
you know, are you just... No, actually, I'm not a collector. It's just guitars I've just happened to gather all, all over the years, you know, from various tours and stuff like that, and just by developing new models, because I have my own signature models, so whenever there was a new model, I had a few of those guitars, and then I tried out some. There are a lot of prototypes laying around and stuff like that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so, and then I have, like, a couple of extra guitars, diff- different ones, you know, so if you add it all up, yeah, it's quite a few guitars, yeah. Yeah. Do you have the first guitar you ever bought? I do, yeah. Oh, nice. It's a Fender Stratocaster, yeah. My dad bought it for me when I was 14, so I still have it, yep. You still play it? I don't play it as much now. I mean, I used it on recordings on, my, like, the first couple of Firewind albums and the first people album I recorded with it. Uh, I haven't done a recording with it recently, but I still have it, yeah. Yeah, I ask a lot of the guitar players that question. And one of the mm-hmm. biggest regrets they nearly all have is that they never kept the first guitar that they bought. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. No, I kept mine. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. So w- when you were growing up, Gus, and you know, you were getting good on the, on the instrument and you started recording at a pretty young age, um, you would have a lot of people. And I think this goes for guitar players in general, that they're all coming up to you saying how good you are. Um, how do you stay grounded? when people keep telling that to you, you know, that you don't, your ego does, you don't get a big head and you don't lose control of yourself. Is there some, how did, is it your family that kept you grounded or was it I just think, a personality? I think it plays a big role in the family. Of course, that's one thing. Uh, it really has a lot to do with what your upbringing is like. Uh, and another thing, I mean, I don't know. I was always a very hard critic on myself. I, I, I always recorded myself when I was, getting better at the guitar and I, w- I would record and jam and I would listen back to what I was recording. I was never really satisfied with it. I knew I could get better at it. So I don't know. Yeah, of course it's nice when you hear compliments and stuff like that, but somehow for me, it never went to my head. You know, I, uh, I was always very like self-aware about where, what areas I was strong in and what I was lacking. And I knew where I wanted to, you know, what kind of sounds I wanted to achieve. So I knew it was going to take time, you know. And, yeah. you know, I was also reading a lot of interviews from my favorite guitar players when I was growing up. And I was, I, you know, I, I saw, I always took ad, uh, advice from, from the greats, you know, when I would read all the articles of, you know, Steve Vai or Ingve or whatever, whoever it was, you know, or I would read like a David Gilmore or Shank Arrow, whoever the guitar magazines were featuring. And I would always, read closely what those guys were saying and try to pick out tips and stuff like that, you know? And I realized that a lot of those guys weren't even happy with their playing as well. Yeah. <laughs> I remember Gary Moore was saying that, you know, if, uh, if, if, if you come off stage one night and you're, if, if, if you've done, if, if you're 70% there, if you think you've done 70% of your abilities, then you're probably well off, you know, it's, you've done well, but, uh, it's like you're not, you know, it's, most of the times it's just never 100%. Yeah. And so, were you curious in how the studio technology worked as well from a young age? Or was that something you learned later on that the guitar was first? Well, for me, I, I started out with a four track. So um, it was cool to do some four track recordings. And then later, I mean, I never got big into technology. I mean, I had like a little Pro Tool set up and stuff. And I use it as a tool to help me record my music. I, I, I don't, you know, I'm not a mixer. I don't, I'm not an engineer. I don't know how to do all that stuff. You know, um, I just know the, you know, from just basic knowledge, you know, I can get a quick sound and I can just record it. And that's 
that's all the knowledge I wanted to uh, know to have in order to get me to basically get some recordings happening pretty fast. You know, I didn't want to um, get into, I didn't want to study to be a music engineer or something. I, I had no interest in that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Now, let's get into the, a little bit into the album, the Fearless album. I've had it a couple of weeks now. Um, oh, cool. What do you I think? Re- oh, I love it. of the things Gus that I really like about it is you don't have I'm I'm a big believer in an album having continuity Mm -hmm. and one of the things you've done on this one is you've you've got one singer yeah was that deliberate so that it would flow more because you had the one singer on it rather than multiple singers yeah that was the whole idea you know I uh, I realized I mean that to me that this album was about really defining what my sound is as a solo artist and what my style is. I mean, the first two albums were really cool and there's a lot of good material over it, but there was just, you know, you would have like the glam rock song here and then the acoustic song there and then there was like this metal song and then there was this instrumental and then there was this, was this radio rock song. But, you know, so it was all like very, you know, spread out, you know, just trying out different things, kind of like throwing stuff at a wall and see what sticks. But this one, it was like, it was, time to really okay realize okay you know i tried to do this to, to do the radio thing and obviously i'm not going to have a, a radio hit in america uh, i don't think that's going to happen for me so you know i kind of like came to my senses where it's like okay what do people want to hear me do like basically they want to hear me play guitar they want to hear cool riffs from me so that's what i went for basically just kind of like back to basics back to the roots and um uh, yeah, it's, I think it's a good combination of retro ideas and modern ideas uh, for me. So I think in order to achieve all that, I realized that I needed one voice, and that's where Dennis Ward came in. Yeah. Now, when you were writing this, did you throw some stuff out that you thought to yourself, nah, this sounds too much like Firewind? 
Um, there were a couple of other ideas that I thought, yeah, it's better that I keep it for five. I mean, I had I originally a lot more instrumental ideas. And some of that stuff was, yeah, it could have been like firing songs. I realized, you know what, I'll just keep two or three instrumental tracks that I think would be a good showcase of my playing, but also uh, stuff that, yeah, would make like the, the musician maybe happy or the guitar players happy. So there's enough guitar in the record, but then stuff that doesn't really belong there, I'll just save it for uh, for another record. Um, so I think, yeah, it was mostly like instrumental ideas that I had. There were some ideas that I thought, well, it could be a really cool instrumental, but if you add vocals to it, it could be a killer power metal song. So I think, yeah, I mean, it's good when I have ideas like that because I know I, I leave good material enough for the future when I when I return to Firewind. Yeah, do, do you get writer's block at all when you're writing? I do, yeah, I do. That's why I always try to compile ideas. Like if I have something unfinished now that it's good enough and it doesn't feel good for this record, I'll just leave it for next year, you know, or in two years from now when I'm making another record. Um, so I, I try to compile all these little things here and there. Whenever I feel inspired, I'll write it, I'll record something quick on my phone and I'll revisit it later and make a demo. Um, that way I don't want to ever want to worry when I go into the studio when I'm like, when I say, oh, I'm going to sit down and do a song now. Um, yeah, so I just want to make sure that it's, uh, I always have enough material to fall upon and uh, ideas, you know? Yeah. Now, when you're sending the demos to, to Dennis to sing on, are there any vocals on it at all, or do you just leave him at his vocals? No, it's just instrumental stuff, and I really will give him a title or something. Yeah, that's okay. it. Okay, because... The song that stands out to me where his vocals are amazing on it is uh, Last of My Kind. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, his stuff is... is um, the, the vocal lines he sends... Uh, what he tells me is that he, he feels he feels that the riffs that I sent him is easy material for him and really easy for him to make melodies. And I feel the same way. Like, I sent him something and it just sounds so easy. Like, when he sends me stuff, I don't have to explain anything. It's like, wow, he gets it right away. So... We work really well together that way. Yeah. Is there any particular song on the album you think that he approached it vocally in a way that made you go, wow, I would never thought he would have gone that way with it at all? Um, a lot of the stuff. Even the ballad, Nothing to Say, I, I had all these chords, basically, with all these clean chords, the acoustic stuff, and then I sent it to him, and I didn't know what to expect. And then I got those lines back from him, and I was like, wow. Or even Mr. Manson, you know, stuff like that. It was just really, yeah, a lot of the times he just surprised me. In, like, in a good surprise, I mean, you know, in a good way. Yeah, and was there a lot of going forward and back with him, or did he just send the stuff and you, you were happy with no, it? No, very rarely a lot of a lot in back and forth. Like, it's usually, okay, I like this, this, and this, and we keep it. Uh, I can't remember going back and forth much about anything, really. Wow. Maybe the chorus of uh, Last of My Kind, maybe that was a one that we had to try two or three different versions mm -hmm. uh, in order to get where we wanted to, but the rest was there. Okay, okay. And the other song I love on it, Gus, is um, Big City. It sounds a lot like 70s Foreigner. 70s Foreigner, really? Yeah, big, <laughs> a big like 70s rock song. I could imagine Lou Graham singing it. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, the whole idea was I, I wrote that on this uh, Stratocaster that I got from 
from Fender. Um, they they sent me this Gary Moore strap. That's a very special, like limited edition thing. And um, and the minute I picked it up, I made the, the the riff of Big City came out. So I recorded it right away and sent it to Dennis. And he did this bluesy vocal line, which I really dug. It was so I'm like, yeah, let's do this retro kind of track. Um, yeah, to me, I want I want to capture that little bit of that Gary Moore magic too. So to me, it sounds a little bit like. Some of the, his early '80s stuff he did, um, little bit of Glenn Hughes, maybe I don't know. It's 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 all in there, I guess. Yeah, it definitely has that '70s, early '80s vibe to it. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, like that. Sure. I like that because I like solo albums to sound different to to the bands that the band that you have. Cool, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's what it's all about. Because a lot of people like misunderstand it. They think because the uh, the fact that it's a solo album, the thing should be an instrumental one. But I tell them, well. No, I mean it's it's just an album with good music on it, you know, with 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 vocal songs and just good riffs and like a lot of guitar. And then, you know, it just happens to be a solo artist, so obviously there's a lot of guitar in there. But it doesn't mean that it should be twelve instrumentals of me just showing off, you know, and playing fast stuff. It's yeah. just an album full of song. It's a song song compilation, you know. Yeah. yeah. Now I have to ask you about money for nothing because I was doing the math right and. A lot of people had put covers on records because the song would have been a huge influence on them growing up. And that came out, I think you were only five or six years old. <laughs> so how did that end up on the record? Um, when did that album come out? Uh, that song came out. Was it 86 or something? Yeah. Well, I did listen to it when I was growing up because, I mean, but that was later in the 90s. You know, it was still on MTV here in Greece. So I guess back then we were a bit late with some releases. <laughs> 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 Maybe Money for Nothing came out in '92 here. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I'm just kidding. But it's uh, it was on TV when I was growing up. It was like on a lot of TV programs, not only on MTV but some other TV programs. They would they would play this over and over again. It was just one of those evergreen hits. You would always hear it on the radio. You grew up and you knew that song. Um. So. Yeah, it was just one of those things where I just loved that riff as a kid and was just always on my list of to do songs oh nice because i think if someone put that on and they wouldn't know that that's the dire straight song after the tracks before it i think you're gonna have people going what the hell this sounds like money for nothing and then like actually it is money for nothing by dire straits yep yep yeah i just want to make a heavier version of it yeah yeah it's i think it's really cool Thanks. I think it's pretty cool how we almost, you know, we made it our own. You know, it's uh, it's still the same song, but you 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 hear a totally different vibe on it as well. Yeah, yeah. Now, because you've got because you've got Dennis singing on this, do you think this album is going to be a lot easier to tour because you have the one vocalist? Yeah, that was part of the thought process as well, just to simplify things. Yeah. And just you know, keeping one guy. Um, I mean, he was just. It was. I never thought. I. The, the. The thing is, we always wrote songs, just for the sake of writing songs, having good material. I mean, I. I, I never thought of, of asking him to to go out on the road with me, because I know he has his bands and stuff. But then I was thinking, okay, who this, who this, who could the singer be, and then should I invite guests and stuff? And then um, he suggested it basically, like, hey, listen, how about doing this as a trio? And um, I can play bass and and sing. 
And I said to him, well, are you sure? And uh, will you follow on all the gigs and you can drop out? You know, and he was like, no, it's like, I'm pretty, you know, I'm itching to go out there because his band, Unisonic, they haven't done anything in a couple of years. So he's like, I want to go out there and play. And I always wanted to be in a power trio band. So that was, I guess that was one of his dreams as a kid. So it's a win-win situation, you know, and it simplifies things for me. I don't have to uh, deal with any crazy singers. And yeah, it just uh, makes a travel party also um, smaller, which is easier to move around and go to gigs and stuff. So yeah, it's just good on a lot of aspects. You you must have stuff on on your solo albums that you'd love to play live that you probably haven't been able to do it because of the singer situation. Yeah, the thing is, we tried it out. We did like uh, some shows last year in America, and he could sing all the stuff with no problem. He could sing all this. And, and, you know, I had different singers on the first two albums, but he could do it all. So that was a really cool thing. Yeah. Was was that the show was with Vinnie Moore? Yeah. Yeah. Were you, did you, were you at any of those shows? One of them was half an hour up the street from me and I couldn't go. Oh, really? Shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Man, too bad. <laughs> That's the way it goes. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I just have, um, I've one Aussie question for you, Gus, because I've <laughs> never had you on the show before. Now, I love the album, The Scream Record. And is there any particular song on that album that you never played live that you would have loved to have played in the set? Uh, I have I don't one. Know. I, mean, we, I mean, we only did, we only did, let me hear you scream. Um, and that was it. Um, did you say you have one? Yeah, I want it more. I love the riff on that. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why we never did it into material live, but uh, there was a lot of cool stuff on there. Yeah, yeah. And was there any particular solo from any of the guitar players that Ozzy had in the past that you were very nervous about playing live that you really wanted to pull it off the way it was on the Well, honestly, I I was nervous about all of it, not just one. Okay. I mean, originally I was nervous about all of it, you know, but once the ice broke and I I started getting used to it, yeah, I was, you know, I started getting more in the zone. It all came together, yeah. Okay, okay. Because a lot of people would say, you know, oh, you're doing crazy train and that solo is iconic and he's got a lot of iconic guitar players so I just wanted oh, to ask you stuff, that question. You know, most of the stuff, yeah, it was it was like that with all the stuff. I mean, which one? That? It's like any, any song that you pick it's just iconic and all the stuff you, you want to do it justice so I was nervous about all of it, you know, and uh, I wanted to stay close to the originals but also, you know, I I wanted to be comfortable while I was playing all this stuff and covering all those different eras, you know, so yeah. Yeah, have have you met any of the other other players that played with Ozzy? Like, have you met Zach or or Jake or any of these guys? Oh yeah, yeah, we're we're good friends with Zach, and and I met um, I met uh, actually I met Joe Holmes. He was uh, at the second show that we ever did. He was there, and he came out to say hi. And he hadn't seen Ozzy in years, and we would chat a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I met Tony only a few times. He's been very nice. Okay. Uh, never never met never met Jake Lee. Okay. What's the biggest lesson you take from playing with someone like Ozzy? Like, is it stage presence or how to command an audience or what that you brought forward into your own career? What is the one thing that stands out? Not just one thing. It would be kind of crazy to just take one thing out of a experience like that. Yeah. I learned a lot. You know, of course, the stage presence is one thing. Um, the professionalism level, of course. Um, the whole philosophy, you know, just how to approach gigs and stuff like that. 
yeah, just I learned a lot from him, you know, and um, you know, it, it it blew my mind how how you know how he had was working out his stamina and how he would jump up and down for like almost two hours at the shows, and I was like, wow, you know, and and he was always saying, you know, he always said to me, you know, leave the leave the gig at the stage, you know, like. There's all these bands, a lot of bands that, that, that go backstage after the show and they're like, oh, you played this wrong, no, you played that wrong, no, fuck it. He said, it's just fucking wrong, you know. It's, mm-hmm. That's what happens, mistakes happen. So, uh, yeah, I, that helped me a lot because a lot of the nights I was feeling bad, like, oh, shit, I fucked up this part and that part and I wanted to do good. And he's like, don't worry about it, you know, that's what happens. You, know? That's how you get better at it. So, um, yeah, he had, uh, it's, it's good to hear from those guys, you know, to take it from those guys. Yeah, yeah. Now, I just have one more question, Gus, before I leave you go. Sure. When your career is done, would you rather be remembered as a great songwriter or a great guitar player? Uh, really good question, man. Um, can I be remembered as both? <laughs> <laughs> Michael, Michael Schenker said both to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or maybe I'll be remembered for the, the cutest uh, Greek guitar player. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, just honestly, if uh, if if somebody remembers you and listens to your music or remembers you for being a uh, a good musician or something, it's uh, that's an achievement. That's something very nice. You know, um, it's just nice. It will be nice to be remembered regardless yeah. if that ever happens. But, um, so, you know, I don't know if it's going to matter much if I'm gone because uh, I, I won't be here to enjoy all that. So, yeah. whatever. <laughs> or, or let me re- let me rephrase it another way, Gus. What have you gotten better at? Have you gotten better as a guitar player or a songwriter? Both, for sure. <laughs> you both, both again. I, okay. Yeah, both. I mean, you know, you, you, I, for me, it's like, it's like a never-ending quest of becoming yeah. a better musician and a player and a songwriter, you know, because I, I do both. You know, I play the guitar and I write songs, so I always want to write a better song. It's not like I want to just get better at my technique or something or learn a new lick. It's also about writing a better song. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, of course. Obviously, yeah. Do I, I do I prefer legacy over currency? Of course, yes. Okay. What's happening in the future with you? Are you doing solo shows, and then you're writing for the next Farwind album. What's happening for the rest of the year? More or less like that. Yeah, we're gonna be rolling the rest of the year, just doing shows worldwide. Um, a lot of Europe. Um, I think we're coming to the states in September. Um, Is solo shows or, or with Farwind? No, this is going to be solo from now on. All right, I'll make. I'll definitely I mean, see it if you come near me the next time. I'm definitely going. Where, where are you? What state are you? I'm just outside of Boston. Oh, fuck! That was the, the the night that we were snowing so much, right? Yep, you played in the Tupelo Music Hall in Derry. Right. Yeah, I couldn't. Oh, go. And, oh, okay. Sorry, because we played also in Boston uh, a week later. Yeah. But but yeah, that's, yeah, in Derry, that was the opening night. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. That was yeah. a good show. Yeah, I was bummed I couldn't. But it was on. weird because everybody was sitting down. I'm not used to doing shows like that where everybody's sitting down. Yeah, that's a brand new venue too. It's really nice. It's a nice venue. Yeah, I did some laundry there. It was cool. <laughs> <laughs> First day on the tour, I did laundry. I mean, who the fuck does that? I guess I did it. <laughs> oh well. All right, Gus. Well. I'm going to leave you go. The new album, Fearless, it's it's excellent. I really recommend it. Thanks. Thanks, brother. Thanks. Yeah. I'll buy it. I'll check it out. All right. And, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll do, all right. And hopefully, if you get over here, I'll, I'll see you. I'll be able to shake your hand and say hello to you. Yeah, man. Yeah. It'll be nice to meet you. Take yeah. it easy. All right, Gus. Have a good rest of the day. You too. Bye-bye. Okay.
Bye. All right. Big thanks to Gus G for taking some time to talk to us here at Focus on Metal. And yeah, honest to God, I really was doing it alphabetical order. I know somebody out there might be thinking, well, your girlfriend's Greek, so you're putting the Greek guy first. But nope, that's not the case. This is strictly uh, strictly alphabetical order. And it uh, goes without saying, go and pick yourself up a copy of the great new solo album from Gus G, Fearless, when it drops this Friday. And if you want to find all things Gus G, then head over to Gus G Official. And up next, our uh, always consistent guest, you got it, Michael Sweet from Striper. Hey, everybody, this is Michael Sweet from Striper, and you are listening to Focus on Metal. Michael, how you doing? Sorry, dude. I'm a little late, man. That's, uh, this happens with nearly everybody. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's just one of those things lately, and uh, I, I, it means I'm not at the moment really focusing on metal, am I? Nah, you're all right. <laughs> you're, I'm, what I'm focusing on now is uh, I'm in Sudbury, Mass, and not far from you. I'm focusing on all the snow. Out on the- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know, man. Well, hopefully that's it for the season. Uh, they're talking about next week, too. I know. <laughs> I know. It's one of those things, when you live in New England, um, it's just so unpredictable. You never know what you're going to get. But, uh, hey, we got hammered here, too, in Plymouth. Yeah. We got about uh, probably about uh, 16 to 18 inches. And, you know, we did okay, though. We're not We're not hurting too bad. Still alive still alive yeah so how did the acoustic shows go last weekend i was i was hoping to go to the one in seabrook but i couldn't make it oh man they were great um you know to a degree it's kind of hit or miss with those shows because um 
it's a whole different audience, believe it or not. Still your fans, but, you know, people for the most part want a big live, uh, high energy show. Uh, the acoustic settings is completely different, but the last three were amazing. I mean, we had probably about uh, maybe 150 each night and just really great crowds, man. Uh, it was a whole new level of energy for for that kind of a set. Nice. Um, did you do anything from Unified? You know, I did not. I did not. And uh, I do want to add uh, some songs from that, uh, specifically Unified. Uh, and, and maybe another one or two, um, I did do Dying Rose. That's kind of been a staple in my acoustic set. Um, but it's tricky because it's, it's hard finding those songs that really do work acoustically. They don't all work acoustically. Yeah. You're someone then who writes on an electric guitar. Well, I know I write on an acoustic. I do. But, uh, by the time they, they get, uh, you know, to an electric, and get uh, rearranged and, and thought out and, and changed and whatnot, uh, then not so much. You know, a song like Walk, for example, that doesn't really, that wouldn't really work acoustically. I mean, it could, but it would be interesting. <laughs> yeah, with all those vocals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. so when you're constructing an album um, and, and you're writing the songs, do you, like, deliberately try and write a fast one first? to get it going or, or what way do you approach it? I don't always deliberately try to write a fast one uh, with the, the first slot in mind. I mean, I, I do always try to make sure there's up tempo. Like for example, if I've got a bunch of mid tempo songs and I'm writing an album uh, after four or five of them, I'll say to myself, man, I need some up tempo stuff. And I'll, I'll make sure that I get a few of those in there. Cause it's important, at least to me, to have those for the flow of the album. I don't like personally albums that are all the same. Okay. You know, every song's the same tempo and it's, it's almost the same kind of style and same feel. And, you know, it, I get bored really fast with those kinds of albums. So I try when I write any album I'm a part of or involved with uh, to make sure that there's a really great uh, diversity uh, going on to keep the listener interested. Yeah. Now, are you easy to be around when you're writing? Like, can you shut it on and off, like with the normal family stuff to when you're writing? I'm not. I'm not, man. And it's not that I'm nasty when I'm writing. It's just that I'm big time. And I talk about this ADD, ADHD. And uh, so when I'm writing, I'm really hyper-focusing on that. Okay. And it makes it difficult for me to uh, devote my attention to my family and to other things I need to take care of, be it business or uh, answering emails or whatever. I just get so self-absorbed with the writing process. Uh, but I think that's part of what makes it work for me these days. Yeah. Is that why you like to write quickly? That's why I like to write quickly. That's why I, I go down. You know, I'm not one of these guys that likes to work on one song and then take a week off and then work on another song. And hey, let's do another writing session and work on another song in two weeks. And I can't stand that. <laughs> you know, it drives me drives me insane. Yeah, you know, you know um, pretty much straight away what's good and what's bad and what you're going to keep working on. I do. And if I start on a riff and a drum groove, I always start with the drum groove or, or, or a basic guitar riff. Then I create a drum groove in my, in my drum uh, uh, software, my program. I work with Easy Drummer and uh, I'll create a groove, a loop. 
And then once I'm smiling, going, yeah, you know, tapping my foot, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll run with that. Okay. And then from that point on, it's about an hour a song. All right. Excellent. Now, if, I, if I'm not tapping my foot after an hour and I'm working on that riff and drum group for an hour or so, I'll just scratch it. I'll, I'll literally move on to something else. You won't even record it and revisit it. Yeah. And I mean, many times I don't even revisit it. It just becomes a lost soul, you know, in the songwriting souls. Okay. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the, the Goddamn Evil, the new album that's coming out. I've heard the full thing. Um, Uh-oh. No, it's it's excellent. <laughs> the, the title, okay. I mean, you, when I spoke to you in November, yeah, you told me that you had the title for the record and it was going to cause controversy. Now, right. did you have the title first and then write the song, or was it the other way around? I'll tell you what. It, it was the title first, and actually, we were sitting on that title for years. Uh, Robert threw that title idea out uh, quite a few years back. And at the time, we kind of felt like, mm, this isn't right. This wouldn't be right now, uh, back then. But fast forward to 2017, and I was working on music, and I, I reached out to Robert, and I said, hey, remember that title, Goddamn Evil? I think that would be perfect to use for this album. It may even be the title track, and everyone agreed. And I think the reason why we were all on the same page with that is the fact that, you know, the society we live in and the things that we see on on the news, uh, it seems like evil is escalating. It seems like it's 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 going to new levels we've never seen before. You know, like the Las Vegas shooting, for example. I mean, you know, if we had been talking about something like that 20 years ago, we would have probably been saying there's no way that would ever happen. Mm-hmm. But it did. Yeah. And you don't get any more evil than that, man. So this this is a, a bold statement for bold times, and it's it's really a prayer. It's a prayer request asking God to damn evil. Okay, and the reaction you've got was that was that the reaction you expected, or was it like even more like oh my God? Then you know what I mean? No, man. We we actually expected. Uh, we were nervous. We were kind of, I mean, I, what I should say is we weren't nervous to the point where we, it was controlling what we did or our decision, but we were a bit apprehensive about going with that title thinking, gosh, this might alienate a lot of fans because they might not understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we understand that. We get it. I mean, it's an opportunity for us to explain to our fans what we what we mean and what we're trying to convey with that title. But it didn't stop us from going with it. We felt we had to do it, so we did it. Um, you know, Striper doesn't just sit around and plan out things just to shock people, mm-hmm. like some people think. Oh, yeah, they just did it to be controversial, just to shock people, you know, blah, 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 blah. No, no. Yeah. We we do what we do to make people think and to make people talk. Yeah, well, Michael, you didn't call the album Sorry. <laughs> we could have no, no. <laughs> but how how funny it is and some people think we plan that out it's like man we're not that smart <laughs> but uh, some people think we purposely really sorry after Take It To The Cross to apologize for Take It To The Cross and I thought I, I got a kick out of that that was funny man yeah now Lost is the other song I was going to ask you about I think that's yeah, great lo- lo- Lost absolutely Lost for sure yeah yeah now, Lost will be Lost will be played in the set, and 
it, it's a scorcher, man. It, it's a striper. It, it's got those striper elements and more of that classic striper kind of sound. But then it goes somewhere totally different on the course. It's really unexpected. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're we're digging that song, man. And we're actually going to release that song just audio only right before the album comes out. Nice, nice. Now, the older you get, like, and, and you know, is there any way? Is there any way you want to, things you want to address maybe in your lyrics that you can't because of the stance that Striper has taken as a band? Yeah, man. I mean, it's it's interesting with this album. Quite a few of the lyrics are addressing the times we live in. You know, lost. Are we lost? Are we, at what cost are we lost? Have we gone so far that we're just totally lost? Uh, it, it appears that way sometimes when you when you turn on the television and you you hear what's going on in our world. Uh, you know, songs like uh, "Sorry" is is talking about and dealing with you know, volatile relationships and uh, manipulations and lies and uh, dishonesty and not being able to trust the person you love. And, you know, it, 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 we see a lot of that in our society. It's really more about, and it all points back to God. I read some comments on, on the YouTube uh, video for Sorry and people saying, how does this, you know, have anything to do with Jesus? And it's like, well, it has everything to do with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Because God is love. Yeah, God. God is trust. God is honesty. God is, uh, you know, it, it, it has everything to do with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, now, one of the great things, Michael, that I really appreciate about you is your honesty on you, when you go on social media. Yes. And you put out an album list a couple of weeks ago of yep. your albums ranked from top to bottom, and yes, your one at the bottom is my favorite. So I'll get that out of the way first. Okay. I am interested though. You put the covering and second coming in the middle, and I'm thinking that has to be because of the experience recording those, because you're putting those ahead of material that you wrote. Would that be correct? Yeah, it's, I mean, the covering and second coming I put in there because I really like, I can listen to those albums and smile and tap my foot. Mm -hmm. I'm proud of how those albums turned out and how they sound. And the performances on them. Against the law, I put it at the bottom of the list. And, you know, it's interesting because it it upsets some people. And I guess those people come out in droves on Facebook. But the majority of the people agree with me. And, and, and the reason why I can say that is because of the majority. The majority of the people didn't buy that album. Mm-hmm. Not just because they didn't know about it, they did know about it, but they chose not to buy it. And so, you know, I've got some uh, backup uh, behind me, you know, where I can say, well, this is part of the reason why. But the many more important reasons why I put that at the bottom of the list is it's not classic Striper. Yeah. You know, love it or hate it. Yes, it's a good album, but it's not Striper. It's just not. It's got striper qualities, but we changed our guitar tone. We lost the yellow and black. We changed our harmony sound. We changed our songwriting style. We changed our attitudes. We literally changed everything. Okay. And became a different band. So I probably would love that album if it was uh, under a different name. Yeah. Yeah. If some other band released that album, I'd probably say, yeah, it's a great album, but it ain't Striper. And that's why I almost despise it. 
Okay. That's which is fine. I just think it's your it's my personal favorite and everyone has different opinions. Absolutely. Everyone has different opinions for sure. And that's that's fine, dude, and that's great that you like that album. But again, it's you we developed the sound. We worked hard on a sound and a look, the yellow and black attack, uh, the guitar tones, the, the certain style that we had with the first album, with Soldiers Under Command, with Hell with the Devil, and even within God We Trust, even though it was overproduced. And we just kind of wadded it all up into a ball and threw it in the trash mm-hmm. and then released against the law. Yeah. Now, the the other thing you put up on social media recently was the songs that you're thinking of rehearsing for the upcoming tour. And one one of the songs that me and you spoke about the last time was the writings on the wall. I don't actually yes. see that on the list. I know, dude. Well, it, it, there there are reasons. It's, it's a very, very hard song to pull off live. It's not a matter of high screams, but it's a matter of really high singing, especially on the chorus. It's very up-tempo, very difficult do so that's why at the moment it's not on the list it is i would venture to say in terms of metal uh, i would put that song in my top three striper songs of all time in terms of metal songs okay it's right up there with soldiers in the command it's right up there with the rock that makes me roll Okay. It's right up there, you know. It's up there. Uh, one of my favorites and a crowd favorite. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and we rarely play it, uh, but because it's just a tough song to pull off. But you know, maybe maybe we'll surprise you, and and it'll we'll add it to the list. You never know. Okay. Is there is there any songs that maybe you'd like to drop from the set for maybe a tour, and but you feel that you can't? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, there there are a few. Um, I, I would love to drop uh, "Calling on You." Okay. Yeah, but it's a it's a staple. It, it, it's it's the one song. If there is one song, it's the one song that even people who aren't Striper fans remember. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's well, you were on MTV. That's probably why this started. Exactly. It was number one on MTV. And when we play that song, people are like, oh my gosh, yeah, I remember this. And they may not even be a fan. So it it kind of doesn't make sense to not play it. Uh, it being our one of our biggest songs. You know, obviously, Honestly is another one. Um, and then there's songs that just kind of begin to feel almost like we're kind of going through the motions with, you know, they're still fun to play and people love them live. And, um, and we play them every tour, every night. And it's just like, uh, okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. Uh, and I, I probably make the call on can on those too, but, uh, you know, we, we try to make sure the fans are happy at the end of the day. Yeah. No, I just got a couple of questions, Michael, before I leave you go. Um, I've spoken to you on a couple of, t- of occasions about, you know, not you haven't been able to play any shows with George. And I'm curious now, if you were offered another project, like just say Frontiers came in and, and got all these guys together with you, and you knew you weren't going to play a show at all, ever, would right, that be a right. deal breaker for you? Uh, well, it's annoying. I don't know if it's a deal breaker, but it's annoying. I, I've gotten to the point with Sweet and Lynch where I'm almost sensing and feeling like 
maybe it's run its course. Uh, we did two albums. I talked about doing a third and a fourth and a fifth, and but there is kind of no point to it if we don't tour. Yeah, you know, we we really should be touring and playing those songs live. It's kind of pointless after a while if you're not doing that. Number two, you know, George has his hands in so many different things, and you know, when the album, uh, when the first album came out and the second album came out, I pr- promoted the snot out of them. And was really pushing, 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 pushing. George didn't do a lot of promoting and a lot of pushing with those albums. And, you know, it, it, it gets to be exhausting for me when I feel like I'm the only guy really pushing it. Yeah. And yeah. that's not to take anything away from George. It's just a fact. And it's a simple fact that I'm stating and saying that that becomes an issue. You know, I, I, I'm one of those guys where I want everybody in the band pushing and promoting equally as much and as they should be, or why are you doing it? Yeah. Yep. So I'm at that stage right now where I'm just kind of feeling like the fire is kind of dwindling. Um, I don't want it to. I want to pour some gasoline on the fire and ignite it again. And you know, maybe that'll happen. But it's quite possible that it won't. Okay. Okay. So final question for me, Michael, and a listener actually sent this one in to me. Over the years, do you think you've improved more as a a songwriter, a producer, a guitar player, or a singer? I think more as a songwriter and producer. Uh, As a singer, my voice has changed a lot. Uh, I've lost a lot of my range, but I've learned how to sing uh, for 2018 and make things work. Some people like it better. Mm -hmm. Some people don't like it as much. Uh, But I can still sing. Uh, Guitar playing-wise, I'm about the same as I've always been. I kind of, uh, you know, do the same thing. (laughs) You know, you either love it or you don't like it. You like it or you don't. I I have my own style and I just kind of do my own thing. And I always try to play from the heart and soul and create solos that are really thought out and melodic and almost like a vocal melody. Um, But I'm not, it's not like I'm taking lessons and, you know, jumping leaps and bounds as a guitar player or a singer and and becoming this uh, different musician. But as a producer and a writer, I do feel like I've, I've come quite a long way. Um, I've found this formula to write songs that uh, are a good mixture of the past with the present. Okay. You know, you got those little flavors of old school in there, but yet at the same time, they don't sound so dated that it's just cheese. Um, but you want to keep some of that cheese. Yeah. If you even if you even call it cheese, you that's part of the beauty of what made all those bands and hair bands big at the time and popular, and people love that. So I try to combine the two qualities, uh, and then as a producer, I'm getting better and better. I think each album is sounding better and better. I think this is our best album since uh, since the '80s, best sounding album for sure. Yeah. Was there any producer in the past that was a big influence on you that you worked with? I would definitely say Michael Wagner. Michael, yeah. I mean, I, I I respect all of our producers. Michael Lloyd, Stephen Gelfast was was a good producer. Uh, obviously, Tom Warman. Uh, 
legendary, phenomenal producer. Uh, but Michael Wagner, uh, there, there was a little bit more of a uh, we were in it together mentality. You know, he, he felt like a band member. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like he was the fifth band member and, uh, really enjoyed working with him. And he was just such a pleasant guy. He is such a pleasant guy. I love him. Okay. Um, still is just on my monsters of rock cruise. But back then when we worked with them, um, soldiers and then that's personally in terms of classic albums by a landslide, my favorite striper album. I'm not talking so much sonically. It's lacking bass. It, you know, we could go remix it and make it sound better, blah, blah, blah. But in terms of the energy and the songs and just how that came together, that is my favorite classic album for okay. sure. Okay. Well, Michael, I know you've got other interviews coming, so I'll, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you again. And the new album's out next month. Do you want to give out all the social media sites for the band? Yeah, man, it's striper.com and then we got striper Facebook, uh, Michael Sweet Facebook, the the, the uh, Twitter pages obviously accounts, uh Michael Sweet, Striper and Striper. Uh and people can go to Amazon, they can go to iTunes, uh FYE, buy it locally or any mom and pop store that may have it. Um obviously it's uh also streaming and available there, but um I was curious. I was, I was going to ask you, um, and just because I've been asking people that interview me lately, um, are there? You've heard the whole album. So, what are some other songs that uh, jump out at you? I'm curious. Well, I, I love "Sorry," and I love oh, "Take yeah, It to the do. Cross." Yeah, I love "Take It to the Cross" because it it's different, and we've discussed this before that you're trying <laughs> to use your voice in a different way sometimes. And when I heard the chorus to that, I was like. Oh my God, <laughs> which is great. Well, you know, it, it was the unexpected and we wanted to kind of try something different. And I think for the most part, that's why the people that may not like it, the chorus, especially, uh, it's because it's not what they expected. Yeah. It's the unknown, but you know, we, we always want to be, uh, evolving and trying different things, man. And if you, if you're not doing that, you're going to get stale and we're, we're trying not to get stale. Okay. Well, this album definitely isn't stale, Michael. It's great. Well, buddy, I'm glad you like it, man. So happy to hear that. And, uh, it's always great talking to you, my friend. And thank you so much for everything and for the support. Okay. Sure. And I'm, I'll probably see you in Malden in mass when you play there in a few months. Absolutely, my friend. All right, Michael. Take care. Have a good rest of the day. Looking forward to it. You too, as well. Bye. Bye. Always great to have Michael on the show. And if you want to keep up with Michael online, you can go to michaelsweet.com. And of course, we had him on here because of the brand new Striper release, Goddamn Evil. And you can uh, find out about that tour plans, album, all that good stuff at striper.com. So what do you say we play one more track off of Goddamn Evil before we get out of here? And it is the lead-off single. It's called Take It to the Cross.
right, Metalheads, that will do it for yet another week here at Focus on Metal. And once again, big thanks to our guest this week, Gus G and Michael Sweet. Not sure what is in store for next week. Uh, Richie and I have got a couple ideas floating around. Uh, at least the one thing I'm hoping is that by next week, maybe my voice will finally be back to normal. Uh, we'll see about that one. But uh, yeah, we will come up with something good to round out the month of April. But, um, you know, for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, as always, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. You're still here? It's over. Go home.